Amen. Please be seated. You can turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 11. Um, so Colossians 3, which means we're about halfway done with the series on Colossians, um, trying to finish uh, before Advent, and I think starting in Advent and maybe going through Easter, we're going to do a series um, on the life of Christ, probably just from Luke, so um, that's what's coming up next. But last week during sermon discussion, uh, Larissa Friesen requested that uh, we kind of camp out for a while on Colossians 3, 1 through 4, the first four verses of the chapter. Uh, we have a schedule to keep, but we will actually look at um, verses 1 through 4 this week and next week. And in fact, um, you know, verses 1 through 4 here give context uh, to the rest of Paul's letter, so we'll probably return to it um, uh, constantly, actually, throughout the rest of the series. Pretty important verses in the flow of Paul's letter. Uh, you know, when we looked at um, <clears throat> chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, we kind of uh, considered how those verses are theme verses in Colossians, and basically the concept there is, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So the same way in which you became a Christian, uh, by grace, through faith, <clears throat> uh, uh, in Christ alone, that, that needs to drive the rest of your Christian life, and that's kind of the theme verses in Colossians. But uh, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which we'll look at this morning, are sort of the concentrate in Colossians about um, what it means to do that, how, how to do what Paul says in that, how to walk in Christ as we received him, uh, which then Paul goes on to apply to the outworking of the Christian life through the rest of the letter to the Colossians. <clears throat> so from the text this morning, um, I want us to think about these two things. Uh, first, how important it is to think about Jesus, how important it is to think about Jesus, and then secondly, how thinking about Jesus helps us fight sin in our lives. That's what uh, the second paragraph is about that we'll look at this morning. So, um, yeah, so let me pray, and then we'll think about those things uh, through this scripture. <clears throat> Father, as we consider your word, we know we need your help. Um, these are things that are familiar with us, uh, familiar to us, and when we become familiar with things, they seem to cease to have um, impact in our lives. But we know that there's a real sense in which, uh, as we come to this time every week, it's the most important um, thing that we could hear all week, hearing from you. And so we want to be open to that. We want to be receptive to your word. Um, so we need you to overcome the... Um, the deafness in our ears, the blindness in our eyes, the deadness in our hearts. We need you to overcome these things by the spirit of life. And so we pray that you would make us new as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put, a, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, as to say here in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, talk to the kids again. Probably make this a bit of a habit. Um, talking to the kids in the early part of the sermon. How many of you have um, have read the Chronicles of Narnia, seen the movies, the Chronicles of Narnia? Had your parents read to you the Chronicles of Narnia? How many of you kids? Okay, that's a good that's a good number. That's encouraging. Good job, parents. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, for those of you who haven't read it or um, need some. Uh, brushing up on it. It's a story about four kids, right? It's four, uh, it's, um, what are their names? Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Um, it's two brothers and two sisters who, um, they are whisked away to a magical place, right? And if, if Justice would hear, if, if Justice, my son, were here uh, to hear me, hear, hear me say that, uh, he would say, New Seasons is not a magical place. Because I told him that one time. I was like, we're going to go to a magical place called New Seasons uh, in order to get him happy about the concept. And now every time I mention New Seasons or magical place, he's like, New Seasons is not a magical place. But Narnia, <laughs> Narnia is a magical place. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's a place where everything's alive, right? Everything's alive. Even the trees have spirits. Uh, the animals can talk and interact with you. Um, Aslan is there. Aslan is this this lion. He's you know the king, um, who, if you're drawing analogies, metaphors, or I don't know which one that is, um, he's like Jesus, right? Aslan is Jesus. He's he's God. Uh, he's the God who comes and into the world uh, on a infrequent basis, but he comes regularly when help is needed. Um, comes to interact with the children, especially. Um, and they have glorious adventures there, these four children, right? Um, they are made, in the end, kind of high kings and queens of Narnia. And then the children return, and they come back to the world, right? This just regular, dreary kind of world. And um, <clears throat> for those of you who know the story, after they come back from Narnia, this magical place where they're high kings and queens, after they come back from Narnia into the regular old world, are they the same kids or do they have they been changed they've been changed by their time there right they've been changed by the magical place Um, something about Narnia changed them they're different now they're not sure where home is they have these feelings of longing these these feelings of belonging that are um, they they work both for Narnia and for this place where their family is where their friends are whatever but um, they're not quite sure which one's their home they're they're kind of conflicted about that um, now they know that they're high kings and queens in another place, and they're back on earth, they're just regular kids, right? Um, now they're more courageous, they're kinder, they're kinder to family members who are not kind to them. <clears throat> um, they have uh, 
they're more perceptive. They see things differently. Right? These kids who come back from Narnia, from the magical place, and they love especially to get together and to dream and talk about Narnia together, that magical place. <clears throat> they love especially to get together <clears throat> and talk about Aslan and remember him. And, um, and they do this because they know that at some point they're going to be with him again. Right? They've been told this. They'll, they'll see him again, and there's this expectation that when they do, things will be great. Everything will be good. Um, <clears throat> so their time in Narnia made a, a difference in their lives in this world, and that's really similar to what Paul is saying in our passage this morning. Of course, we don't call it Narnia. Uh, we call it heaven. We don't call him Aslan. We call him Jesus. But um, <clears throat> Karl Barth, who was a fellow who knew a lot about the Bible, said that when he started actually reading the Bible, he discovered a strange new world. He discovered a strange new world, almost like a magical place, right? <clears throat> there is another place that God made. There's another place that God made besides this earth, besides the things that we see and can touch and, and, uh, and sense around us. There's another place that God made, and it's a strange place. It's pretty different from this place, but that place is linked to this place, right? Um, that place is linked to the earth um, in a way, and that place is called heaven. And God lives in that place. He made it. That was not his original home. He made it, but he lives there in a, a way that he doesn't live here, right? Um, he lives there in a special way. And kids, you've heard about how the Son of God, and you've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son of God came from heaven. He was born as Jesus on Christmas Day, which we love uh, to celebrate. He lived for us. He did a lot of amazing things for people like us because he loves people like us. Uh, he died for our sins on the cross. And God raised him from the dead, <clears throat> right? So now he lives forever. Then what happened? Where's Jesus now, kids? Any, any, anybody? Where's Jesus now? He's in Narnia. Great. Yeah, what do you got? I can't hear what Say again. At the right hand of God. That is in heaven, right? That's great. He's at the right hand of God. You've seen that actually a few times in the service already this morning. Um, it's a quote from Psalm 110 that he's at the right hand of God. Sit at my right hand. <clears throat> um, he went back to heaven. Jesus went back to heaven. So the thing that is special about heaven as that other place that God made that is linked to this world somehow, but it's pretty different from this world, the thing that's special about heaven is that that's where Jesus is. That's where God is. Right? <clears throat> that's where his people go to be with him someday when they die. Um, that's where we will go to be with him and everything will be good because he is there. Right? That's what makes that place special and magical in a sense is that Jesus is there. And God says uh, right here in this letter that we're looking at, um, <clears throat> there's a sense in which because Jesus is in heaven right now, because Jesus is in heaven right now, you and I are in heaven right now. Because he's there, we are there already. Uh, kids, do you know how that works? Do you think that I know how that works? I don't know how that works. But God can do things that we don't understand, and we should believe him when he says things like that. <clears throat> right? 
Um, the Bible talks about the fact that when you have a relationship with Jesus, his spirit connects you to him so that where he is, that's our home. That's where we belong, and in a sense, we're already there. And we have mixed feelings about that because we love this place as our home, and we love our family members as this is our home, you know, in a sense. But we're kind of conflicted about that now because that is our home, because Jesus is there. And Paul, who wrote the letter to the Colossians, says that because we are in some way in heaven with Jesus, we should think about that together all the time, and it should change the way that we live in this world. So that's what we're talking about. Um, it says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. <clears throat> so this is a, he's talking about the ascended Christ, right? the ascended Jesus, who is um, he's, he's the risen Lord Jesus. He returned to heaven. He's the king of kings. He's seated at his father's right hand. Again, which we looked at it in uh, Psalm 110, which was quoted in Hebrews 10, which we read earlier. And it's a, a picture, this is a picture of Jesus' victory, right? Um, Psalm 110 especially is a, is a picture of Jesus' victory. His government shall have no end. There shall never even be a shutdown, right? Um, it's good news that Jesus is in heaven, that he's there right now, that he's ruling over all things for us. But the amazing thing is that because of our union with him, which is a mystical union, it's a spiritual union, um, we have been raised with him. And Paul puts it this way in uh, another letter to the Ephesians chapter 2. He says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So the fact of our being raised to heaven with Jesus, where he is, that's our home, that, and we are there in a sense, that should compel us to think about our being raised to heaven with Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Uh, if you've been raised, seek those things. Set your minds on those things. This is not something that we're supposed to hear about once and then celebrate and then kind of move on from as we live our lives as, uh, as Christians. This is supposed to fuel everything that we do, these thoughts of heaven, these thoughts of Christ. Um, we can't just take God's grace for granted, right? It's not a thing of the past, um, we need to constantly consider the truth of the gospel, constantly turn with the eyes of faith to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. We're still plagued by our old self, that old self-centered self that only lives for itself, um, that wants nothing to do with God, that wants to forget about Jesus, forget about grace. And in the fight against that tendency in ourselves to revert to that, um, there's no such thing as just putting your Christian life on autopilot, right? You can't just train yourself to live as a Christian without having to think as a Christian, without having to think explicitly of Jesus in heaven and set your mind on things that are above. Your life has to be fueled by active reflection on the gospel, by steady, consistent, deliberate seeking the things, seeking, right? It's this pursuing concept, seeking the things that are above, and, and consciously, purposely setting your minds on things that are above. 
And so John Calvin writes, as far as your mind can extend, employ yourself in knowing more and more the love that God has shown by giving us Jesus Christ, his well-beloved son. This is where we ought to employ all our life. Paul continues in verse 3, 4, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we need to explore <clears throat> what is spiritually true of us. The text is telling us what's spiritually true of us if we're in Christ by faith. That our old, sinful, self-centered nature died. It was crucified with Christ 2,000 years ago, right? Once and for all, it's, it's dead, that old self of ours. I don't know um, how all that works precisely Especially, I don't know how it works that if it's dead, why we still need to kill it. Why it's still there bothering us. I don't know uh, why that is, but uh, the text makes it clear. I think you get the sense of it, even if you can't precisely articulate it. Uh, If by faith you're in Christ, if you're united to him by his spirit, then what's true of Christ is true of you. And he died to sin once and for all, and he's alive to God once and for all, right, forever. And the Bible talks about two uh, resurrections. That first resurrection was Christ's resurrection, and in it, spiritually, was our resurrection. We came to life, to God, spiritually, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the second resurrection is a physical resurrection that will happen one day at the end of all things when Jesus comes back and raises us all from the dead bodily, and we live uh, forever with him in the new heavens and new earth. All of this points to Jesus. He's the true source of your new and everlasting life. So that's what it means when it says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your resurrected life, your new life in God's, um, being made alive to God to live for him. And so Garrett Scott Dawson has a great book on uh, the ascension called The Ascended Christ. And he says, our lives are located in a new place. They have their wellspring now in the person of Jesus. In Christ, we become men and women of the Spirit. Our exaltation is the recreation of humanity, lived in joyful dependence on God out of his very life as we were meant to be. So, um, Paul continues, when Christ, who is your life, Christ is your life and he's in heaven, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the first resurrection, the spiritual resurrection, being made alive to God in this place because of Jesus' resurrection and you being found in him, that guarantees the second resurrection for you. It guarantees it. The good news, um, and that's good news, right? This good news has the effect of reordering everything in our lives, changing everything. It, It reorders all of our hopes. And our desires, it truly changes us in this life. Just like the children who went to Narnia, right? They went away to what is basically heaven, right, in a sense. Uh, <clears throat> they went to Narnia and, um, and they returned changed. Not just by the experience that they had of Narnia, um, but by their longing and hope and expectation to be there again, to be with Aslan again, especially Jesus, right? Um, so, so we also are changed by the fact that we are in heaven already with Jesus. We know something about it because of his word. And when Jesus returns, we will be with him in glory forever. And, uh, 
And so it's nothing but good news for people like us who are in Christ Jesus, right? Nothing but good news for us. And this good news is what changes us by setting our hearts and minds on things above, on Christ himself, which necessarily means turning our hearts away from the things that are on the earth, the the sinful, self-centered way of living, the old way of life apart from God. Um, And there's a great Puritan sermon that maybe you're familiar with called uh, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection by Thomas Chalmers. Um, And the concept there is that, um, that we sin, we disobey God's law, we offend God, or we hurt other people because we want to. Because there's something inside of us that wants to do that. That's the old self. We sin because we want to, because we act on desires that accord with our old nature when we seek and set our minds on things that are on the earth. And you can't just make yourself, yourself stop wanting those old bad things. You can't just make yourself stop, right? Your affections need to swing around to the new good things, um, which is why Paul says to seek things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above And then he starts to talk about what this looks like in the second paragraph of our text, starting in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So he says, you have died. That old self of yours is dead in Christ and your life to God. Therefore, put to death that old self. Um, Again, I don't know how that works, but he he talks in terms of... um, two major categories of sin in this, in this paragraph. He's, there's several things that he's mentioning, but there's two major categories that he's talking about. There's lust, uh, sins associated with lust, and sins associated with anger. Right? And um, I wish we could just slow down and talk about each one of these things and take several weeks, but <clears throat> we're going to kind of speed through them. But the longer I've been a Christian, uh, the more clear it becomes that these two categories, lust and anger, um, are significant problems. They're common problems, uh, not just for me, but for a lot of people, right? These things pretty much wrap up our problems, um, the ones that we wrestle with anyway. We're not going to spend a lot of time defining and dissecting each of the sins in Paul's list here, but generally speaking, the first list that he gets into in verse 5, um, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness even, uh, which is idolatry. Remember, you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's wife, has to do with, uh, with lust, uh, sexual sins, uh, which boil down to using other people to make ourselves feel good. Right? There's, a, there's a strong sexual component to this, but basically sexual lust boils down to using other people to make ourselves feel good. And then uh, the second list <clears throat> is in verse 8. You know, put these things away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, uh, and don't, don't lie to one another, it goes on. Um, it has to do with anger, which boils down to doing bad things to others, or even especially saying bad things to others or about others because of a, a perceived threat that they pose to ourselves. Right. Um, both of these things, lust, um, using other people to feel good, and anger is like putting other people down to basically feel good, um, to feel okay, get rid of their threat. Uh, Both of these things, understood in these ways, they come straight from the self-centered self, don't they? 
there's, it's just selfishness at the end of the day there. Um, it's the old nature. So even as a Christian, that's who Paul's writing to. There might be young, immature believers in the church here, but <clears throat> in Colossae. But even as a Christian, your greatest enemy is your old self. It's your flesh, the part of you that still lives for you and not for God. The greatest enemy is within you, right? It's not someone else. It's not someone outside of you. It's in you. And the devil might tempt you and make empty promises to you, which kind of toward the lust category, or people might do evil to you. They might use you or persecute you, which would tend toward an anger response, right? But those are not your greatest enemies. Your greatest enemy is in you. Jesus was tempted in every way we are, even more personally tempted by the devil, yet he was without sin, and Jesus was reviled and didn't revile in return. He didn't respond to cruelty with uh, anger. Um, Even Stephen, right, like his, uh, the first martyr after Christ, when he was being stoned, didn't respond in anger. They were killing him, and he didn't respond in anger. But he prayed for those who were killing him for being a Christian. He prayed for them. So it's possible not to be sinfully lustful or sinfully angry because these things are about how we respond to temptations or circumstances in our lives. Right? It's, all, it's coming from inside of us. You didn't lust because that girl was too beautiful, right? You lusted because of what's going on inside of you. And you're not sinfully angry because of what somebody else did to you. You're sinfully angry because there's something wrong inside of you. You're an angry person. And that something wrong with you is your old self. It's the self-centered self. And again, I don't know how to explain how that is still there, still kicking when it says it's dead, right? Um, the gospel says it's dead. It's been crucified with Christ, so kill it. So kill that. That old self is trying to tell you that you need this or that for your life. Don't believe it. Right? Don't believe it. Renounce it. Give it up because your life is not there in those things. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is protected in heaven where nothing can threaten it, where nobody can tell you, leave. Verse 6, on account of these, talking about these sins, the wrath of God is coming. So if your faith is in Jesus, then even though your sins earned God's wrath here, Jesus suffered it for you, so the wrath of God is no longer coming for you. The wrath of God, because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, is no longer coming for you, but it is the destiny of those who live in their sin still, who live for their sin, who live for themselves. The wrath of God is the destiny for people like that. Paul's point is that these things, this this lust and this anger that comes from your selfishness, these things make God angry, and that's not your desire anymore because you're alive to God. You don't want to make him angry anymore if you're in Christ. And in these things... These sins, you too once walked when you were living in them. You don't live in them anymore. You don't live for sin anymore. You've been made new. Your life is hidden with Christ 
in heaven in God. So you've got new affections. You've got a new desire to live for God. You've got that because his spirit lives in you. Andrew Murray says, uh, I think this quote is in the beginning of the bulletin, in a book that he wrote called The Holiest, Holiest of All. <clears throat> the knowledge of Jesus as having entered heaven for us and taken us in union with himself into a heavenly life is what will deliver the Christian from all that is low and feeble and lift him into a life of joy and strength to gaze upon the beauty of the heavenly Christ in the Father's presence to whom all things are subject will transform us into heavenly Christians dwelling all the day in God's presence and overcoming every enemy. Blessed is the man who knows to look away from all that he finds in himself of imperfection and failure to look up and behold all the perfection and glory he finds in Jesus. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to seek him and set our minds on him individually and corporately. I mean, that's the context of this letter, and all of this language is in plural. And here at the very end, he's talking about the church where, um, you know, we're all one in Christ. Christ is all here. Christ is in all of us here. Um, We've got to do this corporately. This is the hardest thing for any of us to do, to fix our minds on Christ because of that loud voice in our heads, or maybe more often it's kind of a subtle uh, voice, uh, quiet voice in our heads that would have us set our minds on things of the earth. Right? Um, but Garrett Scott Dawson says, um, it takes tremendous discipline to hold on to the truth that has been revealed to us. Without constant attention, our minds and hearts follow the worldview of the culture around us. We go with its flow automatically unless we're consciously swimming against the stream. The gospel... The story of Jesus come among us is not native to us. It's a story foreign to our sinful hearts. So without the discipline of a rigorous submission to the truth revealed to us, we will quickly distort the narrative and shape its meaning to be more amenable to our inclinations. Thus, we absolutely require the community of the church, the means of grace, and a consecrated leadership exercising biblical discipline to draw our attention to matters of necessity. We need these things. Uh, we need these things. That's it. <clears throat> we need the church. We need the means of grace. In the church, Christ is all. Christ is in all. So we need each other. We need to come together for encouragement, for worship. We need to gather for worship uh, and partake of the, the means of grace, right? The word and the sacraments to be constantly reminded of the gospel that the old part of us would have us forget. We need to do that for each other. Just like we need physical meals on a regular basis, so we also need spiritual sustenance and nourishment regularly. And the only place we get that is God's word. It's in the gospel. Right? It's, it's the gospel read. It's the gospel spoken. It's the gospel tangible in the elements of the sacraments. And it's shared together in the fellowship of the church. It's the only place where we get our spiritual sustenance. And when we start to show signs of faltering, when our lives are aligning more with those old self-centered ways of living, uh, then we need others to help us in the fight, to call us to repentance, uh, to call us to faith, to help renew our vision of Jesus and heaven as our home. The the place where we belong, we're already there. The place that we're looking forward to being forever with Jesus. The gospel is true. 
So let's consider it together and let's live like it's true. That's the point of the passage. Uh, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, you speak to us, that you make your word alive to us by your spirit. And we pray that this word that we've heard about um, the spiritual reality, the thing that's true of us, our being in Christ, in heaven, seated right now at your right hand in him, that this would cause um, the greatest of affections and hopes and longings in our hearts in a way that would uh, truly um, take our eyes away from ourselves and keep them firmly fixed on you so that we could live for you in this world. We pray that you would make that happen, that you would keep us in your grace uh, through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.